Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I'm getting out of this jungle dump. I am fed up to here with this treasure hunt business. Yeah. Ira, you miserable worm, you lied to me. You said she was a city girl. Out of her element. Just get her in the map and bring him back. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, my butt. What went wrong? I'll tell you what went wrong. First of all, guess who else is here? You're dead right, Solo. What? Secondly, she's got herself a partner. Who likes shooting holes and everything. The minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone. It's four hundred dollars. Three hundred and seventy-five in travelers' checks. Not a deal. That's just the beginning of what's going on down here. <laughs> There's nothing you can say that'll make me go back into that hellhole. Don't bring that up, Ira. Ira, stop it! <laughs> All right, I'll go back. But this time, you're coming with me. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, it's going to be the first of what I've been teasing for many months now, and that's right, we're going into my DVD collection a very vast DVD collection, and we're going to go one by one for the next 30 years, however long I can last, uh, just going through all my collection. It's going to be completely random. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go through the shelves and pick one out, and we'll, we'll go through one. Now, the one I picked this week is from 1984, and it's Romancing the Stone. And the reason I picked this is because it's one of my parents' favorite movies. I think it's my mom's favorite movie. And at the end, we also have uh, a bonus trivia quiz that my dad actually came up with when I was 10 years old. And he found most of the questions and added some more, so that's going to be the bonus coverage. But what we're going to try to do is just kind of get into the very in-depth analysis of each each one of these movies that I own and hopefully make it more fun for you guys to watch if you've already seen it. Maybe bring out some facts that you didn't know about or... You've never seen the movie before, and and this makes you want to go out and see it. Uh, not all of these are Academy Award winners. You know, a lot of them are just going to be for pure enjoyment, and that's why they're in my DVD collection to begin with. You know, I enjoy it, and it, it bears repeat viewing, and so that's why they're in my collection. Now, some are completely crap that's in my collection because they're part of other collections, and you buy like a set of five, and you may not like all of them. We'll get to those much, much later. But for now, these are the movies I really do like and that I want to talk about. So let's just get right into Romancing the Stone. John Wilder? Vision Wilder? So Romancing the Stone was released on March 30th, 1984, and was released by 20th Century Fox. The running time is 106 minutes. It's rated PG. Now, the original budget was $10 million, and it went on to be a really surprise hit. It made $86.5 million and was the number eight ranked movie based on box office gross in 1984. So this kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it 86% fresh based on 49 reviews. 
Uh, their critics' consensus says that you know it reaches back to the classic Sunday morning serials of old uh, with action-filled adventure enlivened by the sparkling chemistry between its well-matched leads, which is true. Now, I always want to give at least one critic's review, uh, at least from people I respect, one of them being Roger Ebert, one of the best uh, movie critics of all time, and the other one is Leonard Maltin. So I'll usually defer to Maltin for older films, uh, you know, pre-1960, and then anything post, usually from the 70s on, I'll go with Roger Ebert. So Ebert actually gives this movie, uh, when he first reviewed it, three and a half out of four stars, so he really did like it. And his review goes like this. It may have an awkward title, but Romancing the Stone is a silly, high-spirited chase picture that takes us, as they say, from the canyons of Manhattan to the steaming jungles of South America. The movie is about a New York woman who writes romantic thrillers in which the hungry lips of lovers devour each other as the sun sinks over the dead bodies of their enemies. Then she gets involved in a real-life thriller, which is filled with cliffhanging predicaments just like the ones she writes about. The writer, played by Kathleen Turner, uses her novels as a form of escape. Throbbing loins may melt together on her pages, but not in her life. Then she gets a desperate message from her sister in South America. Unless she flies to Cartagena with a treasure map showing the location of a priceless green jewel, her sister will be killed. What follows is an adventure that will remind a lot of people of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it will be a pleasant memory. After all the Raiders ripoffs, it's fun to find an adventure film that deserves the comparison, that has the same spirit and sense of humor. Turner lands in Colombia and almost instantly becomes part of the plans of a whole lineup of desperados. They are the local police, the local thugs, the local mountain bandits, and the local hero, a guy named Jack Colton, who is played by Michael Douglas. Movies like this work best if they have original inspirations about the ways in which the heroes can die. I rather like the pit full of snarling alligators, for example. They also work well if the villains are colorful, desperate, and easy to tell apart. And they are. Danny DeVito from TV's Taxi plays a Peter Lorre type, complete with a white tropical suit and hat, and keeps getting trampled in the mud. He's a gangster from up north, determined to follow Turner to the jewel. There's also the suave local paramilitary hero named Zolo, played by Manuel Ojeda, who wears a French Foreign Legion cap and lusts after not only Turner's treasure map, but all of her other treasures. And Alfonso Arau plays a rural bandito who turns out to have memorized all of Turner's thrillers. Movies like this have a tendency to turn into a long series of scenes where the man grabs a woman by the hand and leads her away from danger at a desperate run. I always hate scenes like that. Why can't the woman run by herself? Don't they have a better chance if the guy doesn't have to always be dragging her? What we're really seeing is leftover sexism from the days when women were portrayed as hapless victims. Romancing the Stone doesn't have too many scenes like that. It begins by it being entirely about the woman, and although Douglas takes charge after they meet, that's basically because he knows the local territory. Their relationship is on equal footing, and so is their love affair. We get the feeling they really care about each other, and so the romance isn't just a distraction from the action. That's the end of his review. So to me, Roger Ebert's review definitely nails a sentiment that my family shared when this movie was first released. And if you've heard the 100th episode, you will know that my mom's all-time favorite movie is Romancing the Stone. As for my dad, he often says that the film has a, a perfect writer's arc, which means a lot to him 
because he's a writer of novels, as I mentioned in the past, and be sure to buy his book, which I will plug at the end. This film was often played in my house once my dad bought a VCR for the family back uh, back in the day, and they even shelled out the cash for an actual copy, which was really expensive back in the day to actually own a VHS copy. I mean, that could be like $50, but this was one of our main movies, or their main movies, and the movie, again, was such a favorite that my dad even created his own trivia game based on the movie, and again, you'll hear that later in the episode. All right, let's get into the cast, and we'll, we'll go through the main main cast, and of course, you have to start with Michael Douglas, who plays Jack T. Colton, we'll get into what the T stands for later. Uh, at this point in his career, Michael Douglas was best known as a producer and a TV actor from the Streets of San Francisco uh, television show with Carl Malden. Douglas was really successful as a producer, and he produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The China Syndrome. Douglas actually looked for other actors to play the Colton character, but nobody really seemed to fit, so he decided to take it himself, and, and the role really made him a star. And I mentioned this in the Actors Who Were Supposed to Play Other uh, Roles episode. Sylvester Stallone actually passed on the Jack Colton role and instead went on to star with Dolly Parton in Rhinestone, which I own and we'll talk about later. But yeah, I just don't, my parents and I have talked about this, we just can't picture, even though we like Stallone, we just, this, isn't, this wasn't a vehicle for him. It would have been an entirely different movie and wouldn't have been as good. Other actors that passed, Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, and Christopher Reeve. Paul Newman passed because he thought there was unnecessary and excess violence in the script, which I find really interesting. You're going to be all right, Joan Wilder. Yeah. Kathleen Turner plays Joan Wilder, and, and Turner at this point was best known for her role as the femme fatale in the erotic thriller named Body Heat with William Hurt from 1981. She also co-starred with Steve Martin in the movie The Man with Two Brains from 1983. Turner was was not the first pick for Joan, Joan Wilder, and supposedly Deborah Winger was approached for the role by Douglas, but she bit him when they dined out to discuss the role. <laughs> That's crazy. And then Jessica Lange also turned down the role as well. Turner did a, did a screen test for the producers uh, to see if she could look more homely uh, because she wanted to be uh, you know shy and meek, and that's what the, the character called for. Even though she was a romance novelist, she was really kind of shy and meek. And she, she had to act apprehensive because eventually she would gain more confidence as the movie goes along. Danny DeVito plays Ralph. And DeVito was longtime friends with Michael Douglas. They were roommates in New York. Uh, DeVito did Off-Broadway while Douglas did Streets of San Francisco. And they remained friends. And uh, DeVito played uh, Martini in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and which was, again, produced by Douglas. And so at this point, DeVito was probably best known as Louis De Palma in the TV show Taxi, as Roger Ebert said. And originally, the role of Ralph was supposed to be really super small. And it was rewritten and turned into much more. And thank goodness, because he often kind of steals the show in this movie. And uh, another uh, actor that was considered for the Ralph role was Bob Hoskins, who, of course, went on to many different movies. Uh, many people know him for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Zach Norman plays Ira, and this is Ralph's brother in the film. He, too, was an old friend of Michael Douglas and originally was a stand-up comedian. And, and Michael Douglas tells a great story that Norman actually wet himself uh, during the ending scene, uh, during the gunfight, where there's all sorts of shooting going on. He's, uh, <laughs> he wasn't ready for the guns a-blazing. And this would be his most memorable film role, but he would continue to act in uh, films and TV 
and he's also a painter and art collector. Alfonso Arau, he plays Juan the Bellmaker, and he has been acting and directing, uh, he had been acting and directing in Mexican films since the early 1950s, and one of his first English-speaking films was Used Cars, which I own, we'll talk about that one too, in 1980. And that was also directed by the director of Romance in a Stone, which is Robert Zemeckis, who we'll talk about a little bit a little bit later. And uh, fans of the movie Three Amigos will know him as El Guapo. Uh, Arau's role as Juan uh, the Bellmaker is one of the standout scenes in the film, and uh, we'll get to that. Manuel Ojeda plays Zolo, and he is the perfect villain in this film. Uh, like Arau, Ojeda was best known for his work in Mexican films and television, and his role as Zolo is one of his few English-speaking films and, but what a job he does. He's just vicious and just the stares he gives. And uh, yeah, he's just pure evil and it works perfectly. Holland Taylor plays Gloria and this is Joan Wilder's publisher. Uh, Taylor was actually best known for her TV work as she played Ruth Dunbar in the TV series Booze and Buddies with a very young Tom Hanks. She continues to work in film today and uh, is probably best known for her role as Pro Professor Stromwell in the movie Legally Blonde. And as I discovered from watching the deleted scenes from uh, the Blu-ray on this, the publisher character was originally supposed to be male. And uh, we'll talk about the deleted scenes later, but I can tell you that the Gloria character was a much better choice. All right, and then the last character that we'll talk about is Mary Ellen Trainer. She plays Elaine. This is Joan Wilder's sister. Uh, before this film, Trainer only had appeared in one episode of Cheers. After Romance in the Stone, she is probably best known for playing uh, Mikey and Brand's mom in The Goonies. And she also had bit roles in Die Hard, The Monster Squad, Action Jackson, Scrooge, and Ghostbusters 2, along with the Lethal Weapon movies as a police psychologist. I own all of them. We'll be talking about all of those. So look forward to that. All right, the director, and I had mentioned him before, Robert Zemeckis. You know, nowadays when you think about Zemeckis, you think of a top-flight director and his work on the Back to the Future films or Who Framed Roger Rabbit or, or Forrest Gump. However, until Romance in the Stone, he had only directed two films, and one being Used Cars, but that was four years prior to Romance in the Stone. And he had gained a reputation of writing scripts that everyone thought that were great, but somehow didn't translate into movies that people wanted to see. And because of this, he had trouble finding work until uh, Michael Douglas approached him about directing Romancing the Stone. And really, the success of this film made his career. Now, the writer, and, and she's very important, and, and unfortunately, it's a tragic ending, but Diane Thomas was the screenwriter, and she was actually working at a re as a waitress in Alice's Restaurant in Malibu uh, by the pier, and, and was writing the script in her spare time since 1978. And Michael Douglas got a hold of the script and met Diane Thomas at Alice's and and thought she had the exact quality of Joan Wilder like she was the character she was like a very attractive but she was shy and her success story is actually very similar to J.K. Rowling as she sort of came out of nowhere and uh, there were very few female script uh, screenwriters at the time and a bidding war took place for the script and Douglas paid $250,000 for the script and people thought he was nuts to pay that amount of money for an unknown screenwriter but he Thought, you know, <laughs> script's good no matter what, and uh, it doesn't matter who writes it, and it doesn't matter if you've written one before. If it's good, it's good. So, you know, action and comedy and romance, she put it all together perfectly, and, and Douglas actually wanted her to write the screenplay for the sequel, Jewel the Nile, but Steven Spielberg hired her to write for his movie Always. 
However, she still helped out with the script of Jewel Denial and with notes and suggestions, and, and Douglas bought her a car, which was a Porsche, as a thank you for all of her help. But again, very sadly, in 1985, she was tragically killed in a car accident that was being driven by her stuntman boyfriend, who had a few drinks before driving. He survived the crash. She did not, and she died at 39. Spielberg actually said she was working on a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark before her death. Um, and But he didn't necessarily like the script because he felt it was too close to Poltergeist at the time, which he also directed. So it's really a shame because, I mean, this this is a brilliant script. And as my dad always said, it has that perfect writer's arc. And I think Jewel Denial would have been a lot better if she had a, had a part in it. But, you know, thank goodness she wrote this and when we at least had Romance in the Stone. All right, so the actual movie. So the beginning scene starts like a Western with Kathleen Turner narrating. And the bad guy that is, his character name is Grogan, is played by a character actor named Ted White, who appeared in tons of films and TV programs from the late 1950s through the 70s. And he was almost always doing stunts or playing a tough guy role. However, horror fans might know him for playing Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th, the final chapter from 1984. He's uncredited, though, and he's wearing a mask, so how would you know it's him? But now you know. But if there was one law of the West, bastards had brothers who seemed to ride forever. But suddenly there he was, my beloved Jesse. He was the one man I trusted, the only man. My heart leapt as I watched him ride near. I could barely wait to feel the warmth of his touch. At the moment his lips met mine, I knew that we would never again be apart. spend the rest of our lives together forever <laughs> oh god that's good <laughs> the end Again, chat, uh, Kathleen Turner plays Joan Wilder, a uh, hopeless or hopeful, uh, but the successful romantic novelist. And, and she's single with her one cat, Romeo. And Romeo was actually added later to make Joan more likable instead of just living alone, you know? She's, she's basically in love with her character that she created, and, and that's her beloved Jessie. And it, it's kind of funny to see her hand, you know, type her novel uh, to her publisher, because nowadays, if you finish a novel, you're probably going to send a PDF file or something like that. Totally different. This is the mid-80s. Um, so I've never understood. She finishes her novel, and I've never understood the tradition or celebration of breaking your dishes or glasses into a fireplace. And this is what she does after she finishes her her novel. And I guess it's a Greek tradition. And its practice kind of started when uh, a rich family is uh, invited a much poorer family to dinner. And to make them feel better, uh, they break their plates after they're done. So, uh, whatever. <laughs> they were kind of proving that friendship is everything. 
and uh, but Kathleen Turner's alone, so I have no idea. But anyway, she decides to to break her her uh, her china, even though I mean she's probably a very I, we think she makes a lot of money. I mean we don't know, uh, but her, she's a very successful romantic novelist. So there's a there's a great line uh, where Mrs. Irwin, who is uh, a an older woman that lives in her uh, Kathleen Turner's building comes up and and she's saying mrs Irwin, why don't you ever take the elevator because she's just lugging the stuff up the stairs and she says i never get into an elevator alone you know rapist you know <laughs> like okay uh so gloria she goes to meet gloria kathleen turner's character and she's trying to set her up like with, with on a date because she knows she's just like kind of stuck in her work and they order a grasshopper, and I have no idea what a grasshopper is, but a grasshopper uh, is a sweet mint-flavored after-dinner drink, and it's basically creamed in mint with a chocolate liqueur. So there you go. If you're into drinks like that, order a grasshopper. So we find out that Elaine's husband, and this is Joan Wilder's sister, is uh, was murdered in Colombia, and his name was Eduardo, and he was basically cut up into pieces by... Commander Zolo, and I always found it hilarious that when Elaine basically gets kidnapped and held for ransom, and this little kid, like, hits her with, like, a, a bolo or something like that, it's, like, kind of like a slingshot almost, and, and he steals her car, and he can drive it like, uh, you know, like he's, a, like, he's a pro, but he can barely reach the pedals, and he's driving a stick, it's this little sports car, but again, like I said, Zolo is a perfect bad guy, he's just awesome. Then we get to Ira. And he is absolutely hilarious. He's fascinated with, with crocodiles. He's always saying, look at them snappers, Ralph. And, and and all the crocodiles were real. And in the end scene where Michael Douglas is wrestling with the crocodile that, that has the stone, Douglas assumed that crocodiles were slow. But the one that they had on, on the set just took off. So Douglas really had to dive after him before he jumped in the water from the tower. And then he kept getting smacked around by his tail. And actually, it, it knocked... Michael Douglas out, he said. As I said before, Danny DeVito absolutely steals the show and, and with his very cantankerous attitude. And, and you know, he says things like, we, sh we should have just rifled a room, you know. Uh, someone's going to get killed and you're farting around with prehistoric animals. So, like, he, it's all these, like, you think they're throwaway lines, but they're great and he delivers them perfectly. Hey, Ira. Kids here with the broad. They're taking her out to the boat. Look at these snappers, will you? We should have just rifled her room. Ralph, how many times do I have to tell you it's not in the country? Well, this kidnapping stuff makes me real nervous. It's a piss-poor idea. It's nothing but trouble. Look, we've stolen enough of these antique trinkets to keep us living comfortably for the rest of our lives. Let's kiss off this third world toilet. One last big one. Trust me, Ralph. Trust me. Oh, did you see that, Ralph? That ugly striped son of a bitch down there. Somebody's going to get killed, and you're farting around with prehistoric animals. Come on, Ira. Let's let's forget this one. I got a real bad feeling about it. Real bad. Will you stop worrying? Have I ever hurt you? I will never hurt you. I can't hurt you. We got the same blood. We're not two people. We are one person. Would I hurt me? Look at those snappers, Ralph. So what these guys are doing, Ira and DeVito, their cousins, uh, they basically smuggle trinkets, but Ira wants one big payday, and, and that's to find this rare stone found in the map that was sent by Eduardo to Joan Wilder. 
and that's why Elaine is kidnapped. It's never really explained what Eduardo did or why he had a map, but this is probably why he was killed by Zolo, because he wants the map and the treasure as well. So when Joan is preparing to leave to Columbia to deliver the map to the kidnappers, her publisher is with her and has a quick but very telling line in which she asks Joan, just Joan know what it's like down there, meaning South America. And unless you've seen the movie a bunch, and, and I have, you might miss a foretelling line that Gloria gives in which he says, Columbia? Do you have any idea what it's like in Columbia? I do. Your books do very well in these macho countries. They have jungles there, Joey. Insects the size of sanitation trucks. Revolutionaries. Have you had your shots? Shots? What shots? You see, you're completely unprepared. Wait a minute. Just hold on. Would you tell me what's going on? Why are you doing this? Elaine is in some trouble. She has a... Little domestic problem. Domestic problem? Elaine's last domestic problem is finding her husband cut into small pieces. Now, I'm not going to let you do this. You cannot go. Here's Romeo. Now, I want you to promise me to feed him and hold him at least once a day. You're going to need something stronger than that. Listen to me. You get bus sick, seasick, plane sick, train sick. You practically puke riding on the escalator at Bloomingdale's, for God's sake. Well, a lot of people get sick in department stores. Joni, please, don't go. You're not up to this, Joan, and you know it. I know. But she's my sister. I'll feed him, but I'm not picking him up. I'm sorry to, to bother you. Uh, can you tell me what time we get to Cartagena? Yeah. Uh, is this the bus to Cartagena? Yeah. I need to get to Cartagena. <gasps> So now we get to Michael Douglas, and we find out his name is, well, we find out a little bit later, but his name's Jack T. Colton, and the T stands for Trustworthy. And he, what's crazy is he really doesn't appear in the film until almost 30 minutes in, and he ends up saving Kathleen Turner from Zolo, who is trying to steal the treasure map from her, uh, gives her false information, so he ends up very far away from Cartagena. Uh, the bus crashes because of her, because <laughs> she's distracting the bus driver, and um, yeah, they, they crash all over everything, and, and it screws, and they crash into actually Michael Douglas's jeep which has all of his burge which he sells that's his business and it kind of screws up everything okay so he's trying to save up money for for a boat and their cockatoos and red tails he he claims he lost about fifteen thousand dollars in the bus crash and so um what's kind of interesting this would have killed the movie because it would have ended the suspense but michael uh, jack colton has a chance to kill Zolo because Zolo starts firing at him. Jack fires back, and then when Zolo runs up the hill, he actually could shoot him in the back, and he doesn't. So it's kind of interesting. So she's stranded. Joan Wilde is stranded, and he agrees to guide Joan to Cartagena for $375 in traveler's checks. American Express, of course. And there's a great scene where you think he's actually going to carry her heavy suitcase 
and he kind of walks a bit with it and she smiles and and then he just casually just plops it right at her feet <laughs> and that's kind of the his attitude how jack is please i need your help that's my new career huh? it's very lady lady half a year's work just flew south for the winter all right my jeep is totaled in about five minutes everything i own in the world is going to be wet so can you lighten up please i really don't have the time i'll pay you you don't understand it's a matter of life and death if i don't get to how my much sister- $50? Oh, shit. Well, you, you said you just lost everything you owned. Not my sense of humor. Well, I'll pay you $100. $200. I'll do it. For five. I'll pay you $250. Now, I ain't cheap, but I can't be had. My minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is $400. Will you take $375 in traveler's checks? American Express? Of course. Not a deal. Good. What? I lost my button. My button. You're gonna lose a lot more than that. These were Italian. Now they're practical. The landslide, there's a great landslide scene that I always loved as a kid. And then the ending, which I didn't really get until I was much older and I discovered girls. And uh, he lands headfirst into her lap. <laughs> and and that was actually, um, you know, so the storyboard artist actually came up with the lap landing. It's just, it's, it's really kind of funny because it, you wouldn't expect to land that way. Um, they didn't do it. The actual uh, stunt people did this actual slide because it was actually somewhat dangerous. And uh, Michael Douglas was saying that the film looks like so much fun and effort- effortless to make, but in reality, it was a very difficult movie to to uh, to make because they had to deal with the elements of the jungle and there was pouring rainstorms and and mudslides that actually happened. And Turner was almost buried at one point. She was a real trooper uh, for throughout the film. The movie was actually filmed in Mexico. They wanted to film it in South America, but there kept being kidnapping threats and things like that. So they wanted to avoid ransoms, and they skipped out on that. There's some great action and chasings in the jungle. There's some funny dialogue. Um, You know, how he keeps saying how he should have listened to his mother because he wanted... um, he She wanted him to be a plastic surgeon or cosmetic surgeon. He should have listened to my mother. Uh, then you get to this scene I didn't understand as a kid, but understood much later. Uh, they find a cargo plane that had crashed and it's full of marijuana. And so it kind of makes sense with the South American drug smuggling and likely, uh, it crashed in the seventies and you find a, they see a copy of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, that Michael Douglas comments that he's pissed that the Doobie brothers just broke up. And so I did a little research and at this point in history, the Rolling Stone article must've been from 1982 because, 
Uh, the Doobie Brothers played the last show in Berkeley, in California, on September 11th, 1982. And then the Doobie Brothers actually ended up reuniting in 1987. Now, the Rolling Stone that Jack finds from the uh, Dead Pilot's bag is actually uh, September 9th, 1982 edition, which had Elvis Costello on the cover. All right, so Jack and Jones are making a campfire out of kilos of weed. <laughs> and uh, again, I never understood what was happening, why they were getting kind of, you know, very sleepy and light-handed, and they were hungry. <laughs> Um, and so we kept breathing into the fire and I was like, ah, that's kind of odd, but yeah, it made more sense. And then all of a sudden you see this very, uh, long snake come from behind John Wilder and he, he calls it a goddamn Bushmaster and he calls it poisonous, but very tasty. So looking this up, the Bushmaster is actually a venomous viper found in South America and it can be up to 13 feet long. And it's crazy because that's, uh, I, I'm sure they didn't re- re- use a real one, but uh, a Bushmaster is a real snake. And actually, so the, the plane itself is kind of cut in half and it looks like there's sharp air- edges and Turner actually cut herself on the edge of the plane and then had over like, th- I think three stitches for that, but she had seven stitches in total throughout the filming. So again, she was a real trooper. Is anybody else in there? No. No, it's a cargo plane. What is all this? All this? About five to life in the States, a couple of centuries down here. Oh, marijuana. Oh, you smoke it. I went to college. Sure. All right, I'm gonna make a fire. Alright, so there's another fun scene um, where uh, Jack and Joan end up in a mean-looking village uh, full of drug runners, and then you finally meet the bellmaker Juan, who ends up being a huge fan of her novels, which fits the little hint that Gloria mentioned earlier in the film. So again, you wouldn't have noticed this, um, but you you think Gloria's line in the beginning is a throwaway line, and you think that they're going to get killed by these banditos and then you know he kind of says like talk you know how are we getting out of this one or write your write your way out of this one joan wilder and when he hears joan wilder he goes crazy and he invites him into his little palace and uh they need to use his uh little mule which is pepe the car and uh and he reads reads the books to the villagers every sunday and, and then they get into an awesome car chase scene right. Right, you, you hold back this one Ah, senor, buenos dias. Necesitamos tu ayuno. What do you want, gringo? Well, you speak English. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, we understand that you have a car. We would like to rent it or buy it. Uh, we have to get to a town. What do you call this I'm living in? A pigsty? Uh, no. No, no, this is lovely. It's... Hit the road. No, amigo, you don't understand. Uh... Hit the road. Senor, I... 
Vaya con Dios, gringo. It's cool. It's cool, really. It's... No problem. Vaya con Dios. Oh. Okay, John Wilder, write us out of this one. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder? You are John Wilder, the novelist? Yes, I am. I read your books. I read all your books. Come in. Esta es Juanita Wilder, la que escribe las novelas que le leo los sábados. Juanita. Le damos la bienvenida, ¿verdad, muchachos? Juanita, es Juanita. Come in. Adiós, Come in. amiga. I can't believe Adiós. you're here. John Wilder. Oh. I've been reading your books all these years. I'm so honored to have you here. I can't believe it. Welcome to my humble house. Then we they end up um, going to a, a village or a town, and, and there's like kind of a, a fiesta going on. And uh, Devito is kind of uh, happens to be there right when they show up, and so he's joined to try to get the map from them. And he ends up getting beat up, so he, he's hiding under this table trying to grab her purse. And then all of a sudden he's under this this other person's table, this very large lady. And then he says, I lost my langostino. And I never realized what langostino meant until now. And what it is, it's like a giant prawn, which makes it all that much funnier. So he dropped his food and he's getting it. And the woman's like seeing him. And then she ends up beating the shit out of him. And uh, it's really, really funny. So we get to the point where, yeah, they find the stone. And then Danny DeVito has the line of the movie, which, again, I missed this as a kid. But he says... He's trying to romance it from you, and that's where the title of the film comes from, Romancing the Stone. So is Jack Colton really trying to help Joan Wilder, or is he trying to romance a stone out from under her? Great line. So we, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. These are things that just stuck out in my mind and, and my memories, and, and the scene that I always had to turn away from and hide my eyes is the crocodile scene. Uh, so Zolo is uh, kind of they're in a standoff where we find out Jack actually has a stone so he tells him to choke on it and he flips it up in the air with his boot and Zola catches it and all of a sudden a crocodile jumps up and right just snaps onto his arm and basically rips off his arm I couldn't I always would know exactly when to turn away uh, but now I watch it and it's not that bad at all. You know, after you watch enough horror movies, it's like nothing. But at, when I was a kid, geez, this was, that was pretty intense. And, uh, but it totally freaked me out at eight years old. So my mom loves the ending song and it's just kind of an instrumental, but Eddie Grant actually wrote, uh, who was famous for his eighties hit electric Avenue. He actually wrote a song called romance in the stone for the film, but it was only used briefly, uh, as a background song when Jack and Joan are at Juan the Bellmaker's home. So you never actually really hear it that much.
right, so we get to, you know, again, there's there's things that go on, and I don't want to necessarily give spoilers. I don't know how many people have actually seen this movie. There will be movies I give spoilers for, because, look, everyone's seen Star Wars. Everyone's seen, the, you know, The Godfather, and it's fine. Uh, but for this one, you know, I give you some kind of key scenes because I think they're interesting. But for the most part, I'm giving you a, a... It sounds interesting enough that you have to go see it, and hopefully I'm giving you information that you didn't know before that. And so if you own the Blu-ray... Uh, there are a bunch of deleted scenes, which are very interesting, and uh, most of these scenes were supposed to be in the original film, but the original test audience score was low, and these scenes were cut, and new scenes uh, included, uh, like, the plane, and, and, and Gloria, the Gloria character was completely new, which was good. So, uh, the first scene that was cut out uh, was Jack T. Colton, so they're in the jungle, and Jack tries to talk Joan into getting the stone before meeting with the kidnappers. So, basically, this scene ends up playing out uh, on the on the crash plane instead of in the jungle, and then we find out his name. So, a lot of these scenes, they basically took and then just condensed it into the plane scene. The second one, it's called By the River. They're in the jungle, and Joan decides to take a bath in the river after Jack suggests it, and then she asks for privacy, and then he returns by saying he wouldn't go in the water if she paid him. <laughs> so he sets up a camp, and then uh, she gets a leech on her, and that freaks her out. They end up sleeping next to each other, uh, but then Jack decides to get forceful with Joan to tell him what's really going on with his sister and what is she actually doing there. And then uh, the scene is interesting, but I get why it was cut. Uh, the plane scene was much better. He comes off uh, better in the plane than he does in this particular scene. The third scene is uh, Keep Quiet. They're sleeping in the jungle, uh, and then Zolo's men are hunting around looking for them uh, with flashlights, and then they kind of walk right over them, and that's it. The fourth scene is called Treasure Map, and it's in the jungle, and Jack finds the map, and Joan kind of breaks down and tells him all about the kidnappers. And again, this kind of already happens in the plane scene, so it's a much better scene. All right, the next scene is Campfire on the Cargo Plane. This is kind of like an alternate version of Finding the Abandoned Plane. Uh, Joan loses her machete, and Jack tells Joan to rustle up some bananas. And then they, he, then when she's gone, he kind of goes through her purse and then finds the map. And then the scene cuts uh, to the campfire of the marijuana, them eating roasted bananas on sticks. And then, uh, so in the original uh, movie, they use, they're eating olives, so... There you go. And then they talk about what Jack does for a living, and he kind of remains vague. And then she actually gives him a uh, kiss on the cheek, and then she passes out from too much marijuana inhalation. All right, so the next one's called Romance in the Stone. They're back in New York, and Joan uh, pulls up in a cab with a different publisher. This is the guy, and he really doesn't like the ending, and he doesn't understand the title at all. And so she says she likes it, so publish it. And he, uh, he goes back in the cab. The next one is Alligator. They're on the island where Ira and Ralph have a lane, and then uh, basically an alligator saunters by. It's a real quick scene. You just see the alligator. All right, this last one kind of gives you some insight of what the character of the publisher would have been like if they didn't have Gloria. And uh, so it's a book signing. So she's in New York, and this is the beginning of the film. And she's in her apartment, and Joan's typing, and the door buzzer rings, and, and nobody answers. She kind of looks out the window, and she sees... Uh, a man walked to a cab, and this man is Zolo. Uh, this was likely to be the scene uh, in the beginning of the movie where Joan is finishing off her book uh, with Jesse before she hands it off to Gloria. Uh, so then Joan leaves to her apartment and grabs the cab. Uh, she meets her publisher, and his name is Richard, who uh, greets her right uh, as she gets out of the cab. And then so it looks like uh, originally her publisher was supposed to be male instead of what was going to end up with Gloria. And Gloria was 
Again, much more interesting and a fun character. So anyway, we find out that Joan hates book signings, but she is pressured by Richard to attend the Walden books, remember them, uh, signing, and she is greeted by tons of fans, and when it finally finishes, and she was signing for the return of Angelina, Richard actually asks her out to dinner, and then she turns him down, and then they kind of talk about her brother-in-law's murder. And so I don't know if he was supposed to be a potential love interest, or maybe it was platonic, and he was just trying to celebrate because she had, you know, finished her next novel, but uh, yeah, the Gloria character was much, much better. I'm glad they cut him out. So we find out for DeVito, uh, Kathleen Turner, and, and Michael Douglas what they're actually, their, their favorite scenes are. Um, DeVito's is when he's running down the hill with the stone in the bag and he's kind of like shooting behind his back <laughs> Jack and Joan where they're tracing him in the car and uh, yeah that's a, that's a great that's a great scene and then Kathleen Turner uh, her favorite is um, Joan Wilder the Joan Wilder from uh, Juan the Bellmaker that's a great great scene and then Douglas's favorite scene is the waterfall when they're um, they have to make this jump and they end up on different sides of the river. Obviously, they didn't make the jump, but uh, it's very exciting. So there are some great fun facts about this film. So again, I kind of mentioned it before, but even though the film is supposed to place take place in Colombia, it was filmed in Mexico, and that was due to kidnapping threats in Colombia. There have often been talks of a remake, but thankfully they've never come to fruition. Uh, Gerard Butler and Katherine Heigl were rumored to be Jack and Joan back in 2007. Studio insiders thought the film was going to be a flop, and then after seeing pre-release viewings, they they really wanted to bail. Uh, Zemeckis was considered to direct Cocoon, but then was removed from the project because of the initial viewings, which is crazy. So in the dance scene, Michael Douglas was not aware he was being filmed, and he was dancing with Kathleen Turner and some extras, and then was uh, surprised to find out that uh, Robert Zemeckis had been filming the entire time. It's actually a fun, cute scene. And then the treasure map that is integral to the movie was designed by puzzle columnist named Dr. Krypton. All right, so again, my parent, one of my parents' favorite movies. Hopefully you learned something new about this movie. Hopefully this adds some intrigue. It's it's really a great adventure film. I don't think it's a ripoff of Indiana Jones at all. Uh, so definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. And then now we're going to get into the trivia part, which is a lot of fun. And after that, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, so you've heard I've given you all the inside baseball of Romance in the Stone, but do I actually remember trivia-wise, what happened in the movie. But first, to give this quiz, to give you some background, I kind of referenced this before, my dad created a quiz based on Romance in the Stone because it was their favorite movie. At least it was my mom's favorite movie, right? Yes. Okay. Was it your favorite movie or you just, well, you don't watch movies as we... Well, anything your mom enjoys. And this is why they've been married for over 40 years. Has it been that long? I know. Well, I hope. (laughs) It's it's longer. I'm 40, so yeah. Uh, Anyway, so you created... Did you know you were adopted? Well, I keep hearing that every time I have you guys on. Actually, you weren't adopted. No. No. Actually, a neighbor, we took you from a neighbor, Mm -hmm. and they never came back from their vacation. Was the neighbor over six feet tall? Because you guys aren't, so... Uh, the wife was. There you go. Um, okay, so going back to Romance Stone, how many questions were on that original quiz? Fifty. Fifty, okay. So you couldn't find the original quiz. Yes, I did. But you could barely read your writing. That is true. Okay. So he needed to recreate, and I get a an email saying, I have 88 questions. We're not going to do 88 questions because you guys won't hang around that long. But we will do 23 questions. I don't know how 23 became the magic number, but... 
Maybe you're a Michael Jordan fan? I think it's 22. 22? Okay, yeah. Will Clark. So, going back, do you did you guys see this in the theater? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. And did you like it immediately, like when you saw it in the theater, or was it a slow burner for you? No, I liked it right away. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. I uh, didn't know what it was about, and it's action-packed. The lines were great. Mm -hmm. um, did you think it was an Indiana Jones knockoff? No. No, no. So anyway, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark before this. I mean, that came out three years prior, so you didn't see any similarities. Because one of the knocks on it was it was kind of an Indiana Jones clone. Yeah, I no. don't think so. Uh, just because uh, Michael Douglas kind of wore that hat mm -hmm. type thing, um, no. And had you seen Kathleen Turner like in Body Heat? No. I, d I had. Okay. Yeah. Because that's really well, all that yeah. she had done. I would never watch a movie like right, that. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so once this came, once you guys got your VCR, then this became a, a big staple yes. of watching this yes. over and over again. So, and I remember watching it over and over again, so much so that my dad created a, a quiz out of it. So, and that's what we're going to try to do now. So the quiz will be given to me, though. If I don't know the answer, my mom can chime in. If I know the answer. If you know the answer. Yeah. I haven't uh, watched it in a long time, so I... But you should, it should be in your DNA at well, this point. Well, that's true. That's true. My host father can do this. Of course, the phone rings. Then can never have complete silence in this house. Uh, you can go through the questions. I have not been prepped on these questions, so it's uh, even though I have read all of this juicy insider details that I had before this, this is actually being recorded before I did that. So we'll find out how good I am at this. All right, start her off. Question number one. Okay. And what do I win? I get nothing out of this, right? Do I get dinner? Uh, do you want to be in my will? Or? Sure. Okay. Okay. Who wrote the screenplay to Romancing the Stone? I believe it's uh, Diane Thomas. That's correct. Now, I, I, I wanted to say Diane Franklin, who was an actress, but Diane Thomas is... That's correct. Uh, and actually, it's a tragic story because she ended up dying in a car accident. I didn't know that. She did. I didn't know that. But you haven't listened to my podcast yet, so it's not even released. Well, who wrote the novel Romancing the Stone? I, was it a novel? No. Is this question two? It was a trick question. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was a trick question. Okay, good. Then I, I passed. You did. You well, did. actually, as it goes, and I've talked about this, it started as um, she was writing this. She was a waitress, and she was writing this script in her spare time. And she, it started in 1977. But she had been approached by Michael Douglas she did. to write this. She was, and, uh, and they paid her to write the script, which at the time, for an unknown scriptwriter or screenwriter, that was unheard of, though. So. Well, she did one heck of a job. She did, obviously. Writing the script. Yeah. I, I would think that a lot of the good lines came from the actors themselves, mm -hmm. but we will never know that. Well, I might have had stuff. Again, this is tough because I'm going back, but I think there are, there is some improvisation going on in some of those characters. Well, for example, the Daniel DeVito character really was small, and they kind of expanded it. No pun no, intended. Yeah, yes, there. I know. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a bit role. And uh, he, they kind of, he actually steals the show a lot of the time. That so. I didn't know. Yeah. All right. What's the next one? Who is the only man Angelina could trust? Oh, um, Jesse, her beloved Jesse. That that's true. Very good. Okay. What was the award hanging on Joan Wilder's oh. apartment wall? I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess. It had to be like, you know, writer of the year or something like that. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Romance book. A yeah, romance, she's a romance club yeah. writer of the year. Yes. Well, she's a hopeless romantic novelist, and, and then at the end she says hopeful, hopeful romantic novelist. 
Yeah, but we're not the We're not yet. there yet. No. Yeah. Okay. No. We're so, going chronologically? Okay, good. Well, that's kind of like this is the whole story. Okay. Told uh, in trivia. Yeah. Okay. So, do I give you an X there? No. You can give me half. I got a half right. What's half of an X? That would be a V. <laughs> a X. Roman numerals. Yeah. What did Joan drink to celebrate with her cat? Oh, it was... Uh, Are I you recording I, your sound effects? No, I'm going to probably oh. cut it all out. Um, no, they... they um, I know what they drank at the bar. That was a grasshopper. But yeah, the, but, that's very good. But when, when they were... She was drinking alone. I don't know if it was schnapps or brandy. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, it's a form of brandy. Okay. Grand Marnier. How did you find that out? I don't remember. Like it say, Did it say that? What? That's we used to drink. That. <laughs> no, but like, how, so you knew by the bottle Absolutely. what it was. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't Absolutely. drink. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you don't so, drink? I don't drink. Well, I definitely don't drink that. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I got one. that one, and you, I can't even get an X. Well, I'm done. Okay. Right. Oh, okay. What was in the envelope the old lady gave to Joan? It was uh, the the map, the the treasure map. And what was the tre treasure map? El map. Corazon. See. Yeah. Okay. What was Joan's publisher's name? Gloria. And actually, as we found out, uh, Gloria wasn't intended for the script. Her, her original, what, what she called her publisher, mm -hmm. was male. And there are, edited, there are outtakes of a male. And I think they were the leaning towards kind of a he was trying to hit on her type thing. So they got rid of him. <clears throat> Gloria, the actress, was brought in. And actually, she's a much better fit. Yeah. Uh, they had better dialogue together than uh, what they would have had with the, the male publisher. What did Joan say when she gave her manuscript to the publisher? Read it and weep. I always do. I think you cheated. I, how can I cheat? I, you had 88 questions. You picked 23. Yeah. How am I supposed to cheat? Yeah, that's I watched good. the damn movie but too much, probably. Yeah. Joan was told to bring the map to what city? Cartagena. And where is that? Well, it's in uh, Colombia. Very good. Yeah. How come you didn't do this well in your test in high school? I didn't have it on DVD. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's that. okay. It was VHS. Yeah. And it wasn't high school. I was probably like in middle school, maybe elementary school. I was probably in elementary school. You can remember that far back. I can. What was Jack's fee to take Joan to Cartagena? Is, okay, so this is kind of a trick question. How much did he want or how much did he settle for? They did negotiate. Yeah. What so, did he, he originally with? wanted five hundred? Correct. Uh, but he says, I, I'll, "I'll do it for five. Um, but the, um, I think it was three hundred and twenty-five in traveler's checks. I'm close, or three seventy-five. I think it's three seventy-five. I think it's three seventy-five. Three seventy-five. It is. And an American Express traveler's checks. That's right. I do remember. Well, just traveler's checks. No, no. He says American Express. She says absolutely. Okay, but yeah. the final, his final answer was three seventy-five yes. in traveler's checks. Okay, what did Joan say when Jack threw her suitcase over the side of the of the road? Um. Okay, let's make some time or something like that. <laughs> what was it? You bastard! Oh, oh, what Joan said? Yeah. Okay, because what he did, he said after he dumped it. Was okay. Let's make some time. And then she she actually didn't even say you bastard. She said you bat, and then all of a sudden falls down the the slide. Well, who, who's making up these questions? <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you. I, I okay. remember that. Okay, fine. How, I misheard it. How are Ralph and Ira related? Uh, I think they're cousins. Correct. Yeah. yeah. 
What is Zolo's title? Well, he's either the Doctor Zolo or he's a butcher, but he's a he's a lieutenant, like he's in the military. Okay, you're half or, or Colonel. Or he has two titles. Yeah, Doctor or Colonel Zolo, Deputy Commander of the Secret Police. Yeah. yeah. What is Jack's full name? Jack T. Colton, and that stands for T is for trustworthy. Okay, you're very good at this. Well, I hope so. What is the name of Juan's Jeep? Oh, the little mule. But um, and what is the little mule's real name? Yeah, that's the thing. Is it Pepe? <laughs> yeah. I think it's Pepe, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. What was Juan's diversion to cross the river? Oh well, it was a. It's like a drawbridge. Oh, it's not even a drawbridge. It was like a little ramp. What was it called? Oh yeah, it was something's uh, Angelina's escape or something like that. Or uh, yeah. Uh, you got escape right. Uh, it's some. It's some female name. Uh, I. I don't remember. Loopy. Loopy. Yeah. yeah. Loopy's escape. Yeah. What did Jack ask for when he registered at the hotel? They wanted to know if he had a copy machine and right. they, will it fit the map size? Yeah. Yeah. What present did Jack give to Joan at the restaurant? At the restaurant. Oh, it was a necklace. Yeah. It was like a heart necklace too. Good. Yeah. That's very good. Of courtesan. What was the stone encased in? Oh, it was a bunny. And they it was like yeah, it was like a uh, it wasn't plastic, it was like a glass ceramic <laughs> bunny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they this is some sort of sick joke. Yeah. You're just acing this test. I, I don't you. think your mother could. If do I heard correctly, well. I would have known that she said you bastard, but that's fine. What was the name of Joan's first book? Oh, damn. That's not it. Yeah, no. Your mother looks confused here. Well, we are going back. You, if this is supposed to be chronological, no, this is actually. Oh, really? Yeah. She actually mentions it. Yes, this is when. Um, oh, he's. Pro she's probably saying in the book. I remember I did. This is yeah. why they smash open the, the yeah. thing to get the stone. Very good, Brian. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what it was called. I don't remember either. It was something Ooh, that the that's lost treasure one. of. Um, something. Something. The Sierra Madre. <laughs> Treasures of Lust. Oh, oh you see, see, I had got treasures, treasures in Sounds good. Yeah. What was Zolo's man wearing that was so unusual? Zolo's man wearing? Man, the men, yeah. All the soldiers that were with him. Sunglasses? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because it was all night. What hand did the crocodile <laughs> bite off of Zolo's hand? Uh, his left. No, it know. was his right. Yeah. You're wrong. He's left. <laughs> it was the left hand? Yes. Yeah. Oh. And what did he say before the crocodile bit him? I don't know. Thank you. No. Yeah, he did. Oh, he said thank you. But, he, but what did Jack say? Choke when he, on it. Yes. Yeah. But when he caught it, he yeah. says thank you. And then all of a sudden the crocodile uh, comes and rips off his yeah. hand. How did Jones' new novel end? Oh yeah, they they basically they they sail around the world together. Like he shows up and yeah, they sail around the world. No, yeah, they do. That's part of it. Okay. He dove off the tower. Okay. Then he met her at the airport. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, well, they yeah. sail around the world together. Okay. Well, I give you the end. End. <laughs> I should get that. <laughs> I give you a V. Thanks. A V for victory. What was the name of Jack's boat? Oh, it was the Angelina, right? It was Angelina. Partly. Yeah, I don't remember. That. There's another part of it, but yeah, I don't, yeah. Your mother looks confused again. Angelina Columbia. 
Okay, oh. well, that's fine. But I, he would have called it the Angelina, I think. What was the name of the theme song? I think it was called Romance in the Stone, but it really, um, I, I actually go over this. There was a song called Romance in the Stone written by, by Eddie Grant, um, but they didn't use it really in the movie. Um, I don't know. I think it's just called Romance in the Stone. You got it right. Yeah. Yeah. It is but there's two different yeah. songs. There's one's with lyrics, and there's one that, that's the theme that plays at the end with the saxophone. So. What was the... Um, we're going to go back to the front, because we did this so quickly, and, you, and you did so well. What was the outlaw's name in the opening scene? Grogan. or Go Yeah, it was Grogan. Or Grogan. Gogan. Or like, I think yeah, it's no, Grogan. Grogan. Yeah. Grogan. You, you have it right. Um, one of the great things about this movie... Because it's a real sleeper movie. If you mm -hmm. really want to attack it from a writing standpoint, some of the lines were great. Mm -hmm. So what did, um, what ways did the outlaw say Angelina would die? Oh, yeah. It was like um, slow like something or quick like uh, whatever. But I, yeah, I don't know the yeah. exact quote. But quick like the tongue of a snake or slower than the molasses in January. Right. And that's, then that's at the end, right. Zolo says the same thing, similar. Yeah. He, he, he tweaks it a bit. That's very good. Yeah. That's very good. Also, did you, speaking of a line, did you guys, I mentioned this prior. Did you pick up on a little thing that Gloria says as she's going to the airport? So Jones quickly, she's got the, the hostage call. She's going. Gloria's with her in the apartment. And Gloria says, um, alludes to something that foreshadows what happens. And she's like, do you know what it's like in those those third world countries? And she's like, I do. Your books do really well down there. Which foreshadows when she meets Juan the Bellmaker. But you wouldn't even think about it until later. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. And she said something to the extent that's not on, on my list here. Yeah. To, that you get sick in Macy's department. Yeah, Bloomingdale's. So going up the escalator in Bloomingdale's. Yeah. Yeah. Great lines. What was the law of the West? I have no idea. Another great line, bastards have oh, brothers. That's right. This is all in the, the fantasy scene. Well, it's not a fantasy scene, but it's her um, basically telling her, her story, uh, that she, the novel she's writing in the beginning. Well, this is part of the flaw of her character. Yeah. What does Joan Wilder search for after finishing her novel? Oh, she wants a drink. I mean, she, or no, a Kleenex. She wants Kleenex. But she's also looking for something to drink. <laughs> That's those little bottles. What brand of food did Joan feed her cat? Oh, you know, uh, it's bumblebee tuna. Very good. Yeah. Very good. And you're actually, not going to get this one. But actually, you know what that, if you watch it, you'll remember at the time that that was like a commercial. Remember she it was like the candlelight and they're present, it was like Fancy Feast? Right. It, they, I think that was a take on that. How many eggs were in Joan's refrigerator? This is stupid. I mean, this is why we only did 23. I don't know. Four. What would you say, Brian's mother? Um, she didn't have any eggs in the refrigerator. You're close. One. Yeah. What was the cat's name? That I know. Romeo. Yeah. Very good. What tool did Joan use to open the bottle? Oh, I remember. It was like our, um, it's not a wrench, but it's like pliers, basically. Because she couldn't get open. She had all these mini bottles of alcohol, so. Which actually leads to a funny scene when they're getting hunted by Zolo. That's right. And and drinking here. <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> killed. And that's the other foreshadow. Yeah. 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 What was the clock's time when the phone woke Joan up? The clock on the mantle. 
Yeah, I had no idea. She, she did look at her watch, yeah. but they also showed the mantle. And your mother? Well, I guess it was around 12. And it was 12.10. Okay. So I assumed when I watched the movie, it was much earlier than that. In the morning? Yeah. yeah. But obviously she probably finished her novel late at, late at night. It might right. have been in the middle of the morning. Right. So. What was the old lady's name walking up the stairs? I, I, I should know this. I can see her. Yeah. I don't remember. Mrs. Irwin. Yeah. And what did she call Joan? Pumpkin. Good. Yeah. Very good. What color stocking cap was the monkey vendor wearing? <laughs> This is stupid. Like, that stuff. What is it? <laughs> Blue. White. Yeah, you're both wrong. Yeah. Is it gray? Yellow. No. What was Joan's sister's name? Oh, um, I want to say Gloria. That's her publisher. It's um, Elaine. Or, yeah, it's Elaine. Very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> what was Joan's brother-in-law's name? That one, he, it's a Hispanic name, um, Eduardo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what happened to the brother-in-law? He carved him up. He was killed. Actually, this is an interesting point, and they never really delve into it. My guess is they never explain why, he, what he did and what. So my guess is he was kind of on the hunt for this treasure-type deal and then got involved, and that's why the map, uh, he got in bad with... I, I would think so, And, and things like that. But, so. uh, he wanted to keep it away from him, so he sent it to, to Joan. Joan. Yeah. yeah. But they never they never really explained him at all. No. And I think you might see a... Yes, they did. They well, they explained they found him killed. in one piece. They found one piece. Found yeah. One piece. yeah. Um, but they also... Um, you kind of see a picture of him, I think, mm -hmm. at Joan's house with the sister. Yeah. But you really don't... Yeah, they don't really reference him much. What did the boy use to knock the sister out? It was like a... Um, not, it's it's not a slingshot, but it's like a uh, I don't even know what they call it. It's a it's like a bolo, okay. which is a weapon. Yeah. What number did the boy have on his shirt? It's probably nine or something like that. Seven. Twelve. <laughs> what color was the sister's car that the boy? That was drove? red, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Your mom is shaking her head. They, they want it to stick out more. I also found it fascinating that a kid. Who's oh, probably yeah. like 12 years old, can drive a stick. And, or and can see over the steering wheel. Oh, yeah. yeah. He drives perfectly. Yes. What was the first thing Ira said to Ralph after the boy brought them joined, to join sister, Joan's sister? I, I don't remember. Look at these snappers, will you? <laughs> referring to the... <laughs> referring to the crocodiles. I, I don't remember... I guess. Yeah. I, I know he said that, but I didn't know it was, yeah, that, it was that. that. That was there. I, in fact, I thought he said it in a different context. Yeah. To, to, to okay. Joan got on a bus heading to what city when, he, when she was She in, thought she was going to Cartagena, and right. actually it changed. Uh, I don't remember the city, though. It's <laughs> basically um, it on the opposite sense, you know, side of the town. Castillo but, de San Felipe. Yep. Well, I got that. How did Ralph recognize Joan? Her, he had a book, and so he, he had the, the jacket, basically. Right. On the bus, what animal did Joan see in a tree? Well, it's probably a monkey. Yeah, yeah, another foreshadow. Oh, that's true, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say what what um, what animal did <laughs> what you What brand of monkey? No, what animal did she step on on the bus? Oh, I have that here. Okay, well, it was a pig. Yeah, what did the ladies it's say? Estepito. That's right. What color was Joan's suitcase? Yeah, it was kind of greenish, I guess, or maybe blue. I don't know. It is blue. Yeah.
And what did she say when he chopped off her heels? She called him a bastard again. No, she <laughs> said those were those were Italian, yeah. and he's like, oh, "Not yeah. impractical." That, yes, but, that's good. <laughs> did you write this? What did the man hit when he shot at Jack Colton? It hit his. Um, it was like a satchel full of water first. The water bag. Yeah. What was the only thing Jack salvaged from the wrecked jeep? It was the picture of the boat. Right. How did Joan cross the river? This is the river. Oh, oh, oh. The river, the raging river. Uh, there was that archaic bridge. And how did she Oh, oh, oh. She, yeah, she grabbed a vine. Mm -hmm. And then, she, well, she did it by necessity because she was going to fall off the bridge. In the jungle, what was the plane pilot's skull? What was on it? It was like, what, Born to Kill or something like that? Or I don't know. No, that was the Grateful Dead. Was no, it? on the skull itself. There was something on oh, the skull. A, a snake? No. On the skull? Yeah. I Remember the, the pilot's head was hanging yeah, out the but window? Yeah, I thought it had the jacket on it. He had sunglasses. Nah. Oh. Uh, what was the cargo plane carrying? Marijuana. Yeah. What does El Corazon mean? The heart. How much money did Jack lose in the bus jeep? Crash. I, see, I know this because I actually, I have it in my notes, but I don't remember. Um, like 15 grand, maybe? Very good. Was it? Yeah. Huh. And then when she asked, what's he in doing? He says, uh, shortcuts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's another good line. Yeah. How long had Jack been in Colombia? Forever. <laughs> it actually, he says that. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then, he, yeah. then, it, then. Too long. Yeah. I don't know, like... A year, year and a half. A year and a half, okay, yeah. But he does say forever, just to... Uh, he's he's what, mocking her. What's the first animal Jack and Joan see as they entered the village? First animal that Jack... It's a stray dog, I think, right? I don't Wasn't know. that the chicken? It was a llama. Yeah. There was a chicken there, though, too. Well, that came later. Mm -hmm. What soft drink sign was on the building in the village? Probably Pepsi. Coke. Pepsi. <laughs> what day does Juan the Bellmaker read Joan Wilder's book, Saturday's Man? Saturday. Right. What tool did Ira use to clean his sculptures? Toothbrush. I have no idea. She got it. That's what very good. It? Toothbrush. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, give me one more. I'm on a roll. Well, which ear did Jack have an earring? Right. Have an earring? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think he had any. He did. It was like a little... No. Oh. He didn't have one. Oh, okay. Okay. That's stupid. See, <laughs> I knew that. What number was on Joan's room key? This one you should yeah, know. Yeah, that was like... What was it? That's my lucky number. It was a seven. Right. Was, yeah. Right. All right. Wait, there's more. I know there's more. But <laughs> this, is, this is one of the great lines. When Danny DeVito, Ralph... Was crawling under the table. Yes, and so I, I talked about this. So he lost <laughs> his uh, Langus, which is you know it's a jumbo. It's almost like a prawn. Well, so, I, I knew it was some kind of food. I yeah. So I, so think about it. So he's saying I lost my jumbo shrimp basically, yeah. and that's why it's so funny <laughs> um, because then she ends up beating the crap out of him. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. No, that is a great line. Anyway, thank you, Dad. That was that was fun. Those I'm not done. Memories. I, I would say I got about 90%. What was the name of the hotel in Cartagena? Hotel Cartagena. Yes, very good. With uh, Jack and Joan on opposite sides of the river, what direction did Jack tell Joan to walk? East. Toward the sunset. Okay, well, there you go.
Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, I'm not done. Yet. I'm on my last page, page though. Um, as far as a story arc and a character arc, this is a a learning from a writing standpoint. Mm -hmm. it, it's a learning guide because in a in a character arc, you see how the the character grows. Sometimes they grow in the opposite direction that they're supposed to. In both their cases, they both grow in in a favorable way. Mm -hmm. In and trying to correct their their flaws. Um, they have an ideal epiphany, result, and an end. And they were, had two great antagonists in Zolo and Ira and Ralph. Mm -hmm. But the lines were great. There were other lines in here, but I won't go over them with you. But <laughs> anyway, I'm done. Well, speaking of the writer's arc, I, I mentioned on prior podcasts, you have your latest book out, which is called The Cracker Jack. So definitely check that out. It's to support a local author, an independent author. So uh, stick it to the man, and, and you know you don't have to buy John Grisham and Stephen King. You can buy other books too. If Sounds good to me. That's what I thought. Yeah. So just go to Amazon, search for the Cracker Jack and Robert M. Davis, and you can get your very own copy. It's also you can get an ebook too as well. Ebook, and we also have the audio book, where I come to your house and read it to you. <laughs> Do you really want that? <laughs> Depends whose house I'm going to. Yeah, good. But thank you for the plug. You're welcome. All right, until next week. officially on spotify now so if you don't use itunes if you don't use the podbean app you can go to spotify and get all of our past episodes you can stream it on there so if you're a spotify user you can go find damn good movie <laughs> i can't even say my own podcast damn good movie memories yes i know what i'm talking about i'm the host right okay so go to spotify look for damn good movie memories you can stream all of that stuff and yeah so if you don't want to use itunes you don't want to use podbean you can use spotify as well all right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. 
If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world, and it's my number one podcast, signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said, my second favorite podcast is, it doesn't matter, the rest suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!